we're live. Okay, we're now live. Um, firstly, uh, I think we've got people coming through. Yep, there we go. Um, everyone, thanks very much for uh, for being on this call. Um, my name's Chris Douglas, um, Chad Councilman, top left there. Chad, how are you going? Um, we've uh, we've been running these podcasts now. I think this is our fifteenth podcast, um, and we've been having some really good uh, engagement from from the industry, both locally here in in Australia and New Zealand, but also abroad uh, through the UK and the US, and in fact places like the Netherlands and Spain and Malaysia and Japan as well. So it's been really good. Today's a really really important session that we're we're going to be holding. Um, because we've got a group of vehicle manufacturers that have agreed to come on on the call, um, talking about recalls, um, talking about Takata, obviously it's very topical, um, and you know, talking about how the automotive recycling industry as well as the vehicle manufacturing industry, if you like, we're all in the automotive industry, um, can work closer to achieve a better outcome for, for everyone involved when it comes to, to recalls and potentially other areas of, of interaction. So uh, we've got Audi, we've got Jerome Fietta. Jerome, okay. joining. Hey, we have uh, Murray Finlay from FCA. Murray. Derek McCarthy from Subaru Australia. Hey, hey Derek. Guys. Shane from Mazda. Hey, Shane. Good morning, all. And Matt from Jaguar Land Rover. Good morning, guys. Hey, Matt. So you would have, um, those that attended the 2018, I believe, Auto Recyclers Conference would have uh, recognised Shane and Jerome uh, attending that session. We had a panel discussion there. Um, so we've, we're going back a few years now where we've, we've been working closely with vehicle manufacturers to, to sort of help deal with and, and build a better relationship so that we can start interacting more and interacting better. Um, so that's, that's been great. Uh, but we've got a long way to go. So what I thought we'd do is, is uh, go around table and sort of ask each of the vehicle manufacturers that are being represented here today to tell us a little bit about, I suppose, what they're looking to achieve, why they're on this call, um, and what things look like from a Takata perspective over the next four months uh, for each of them, um, how they can help the recycling industry, how the recycling industry can help them, um, and, and look at what what we can do moving forward beyond Takata. So I suppose maybe I'll start with Derek. You're in the middle of the screen, on my screen at least, so I'll throw you into the fire. Can you tell us a little bit from a Subaru Australia perspective, um, you know, a little bit about uh, where you're at and what, what Takata looks like and beyond? Sure, thank you, Chris and Chad and for everyone else who've joined us today. Uh, I'm gonna keep it really simple. We've been working with Takata for the last um, nearly two years now and and it's been a difficult road for everybody um, and nothing's been seen like this across the world as far as a recall, it's uh, a landmark. But uh, really briefly, I just wanna say that we've been working very closely with um, Chris and, and now Chad to try and get as many of these airbags off the road and out of vehicles, but also trace down in salvage yards, which is where everyone else comes in here now. So our primary goal is to keep these away from vehicles that could be used and could be an accident and therefore hurt someone. So first and foremost, the most important thing, which has been harped over and over again, but unfortunately it's, it's the, the most crucial part, 
is these things are dangerous and we need to get them off the road. So one thing I found from um, our point of view as we continue to do quarterly audits is we need to trace all of them down, not just the ones that are in cars, but the ones that were in cars and are lying around on shelves waiting to be sold or ones that were in vehicles that are waiting, uh, being crushed or waiting to be crushed. And we have to count for all of them, not just some of them and hope for the best and that's near enough is good enough. We actually have to find all of them. So it's become really apparent how crucial uh, working with salvage yards to ensure that we make sure they've cleared their stock and ticked their boxes and said, all right, we've, we've done all that we can so that when we get audited, when Edge of the Map just get audited, when uh, salvage yards get audited, they can say we've done everything we can do to make sure that none of these ever come in any car ever again. And firsthand, I've seen so many of these secondhand uh, ATAIs in vehicles coming into our dealerships and being pulled out, which means they're out there, we just gotta find them. So it's, for us, we gotta find out ones that have been crushed, ones that have been exported, ones that have been pulled and sitting on shelves. And the most important thing is ones that have been sold to customers who have got them in cars and, and we can't trace them because um, we don't know where they are. So we need your help in salvage land. And I've learned a lot from these guys about uh, how difficult uh, the situation is and the way that your businesses work. I've learned a lot about salvage in the last year. Um, but we need to help each other to get you guys uh, into the, the right column as far as compliant and to help us to get these across the lines so that HBC can tick all the boxes and say we've done everything we can do. So we need your help and I know that you need our help as manufacturers to, to get these across the line. Perfect. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate that. Um, Jerome, let me throw it over to you. Good morning, everyone. And uh, again, thanks for the invitation to this podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, I came to the Auto Recyclers uh, last year. I think it's already more than a year ago. And to me, that brought in um, a fair bit of knowledge. And that's something that we don't probably have as a manufacturer and helped us understand what's in the other side and uh, looking at the Auto Recycler. So for us, yes, we've been involved in the Takata now. It's uh, 18 months and um, we're still going. We still have four months to go. And that's where... For us, the, the important part is the safety and the security of our customers is our first priority. And therefore, that's why we need to work with you in having the same goal and trying to work in, uh, on the safety of our customers. Now, we should all work together towards this goal. And uh, that's the important part here. And I think I can uh, refrain again what Derek said. It's um, for us important that you work with all of the record. We've been working with Chris and the team now for 18 months. And we know that there is still um, in the recycling uh, industry some uh, airbags for Audi vehicles that are still there. And uh, for us, we want to get every single one of them because, again, we don't want any of them back on the road. We want to get them all out because it's important for the safety of our customers. Um, looking even further now than the, the Takata airbag, I think in the future we really need to work together on all recall because whilst the Takata is a mandatory recall that's been put to us by uh, the ACCC, it's something that we need to look at as further recall. How can we work better together so you don't sell parts that are affected by recall? And that's one thing that we're working with Chris and his team at the moment in saying, hey, we can give you the VIN that affected by recall, and maybe you can pass that on into the recycling industry because we don't want you to sell any of those parts. So it's quite important moving away from the Takata in thinking about the future. And another thing too, and as you can see behind me, there's the, the new e-tron. 
Um, this month, we're launching the first uh, battery electric vehicle for Audi. So there will be the e-tron uh, SUV and Sportback that will be launched this month. But again, that's uh, a new territory for all of us. Um, I know that some of you have been working already for, with electric vehicles, but with the high voltage, it's something that we really need to understand and we really need to have everyone understand that they are not um, the normal cars that we've been dealing with uh, in the past. There are new vehicles, they are high voltage, and there's a danger that comes with it. So there is a specific requirement for those vehicles, and there's uh, a way to handle those cars for um, the, the first tag when they're going to join the car, for the towing company, but also for the auto recycler. So that's probably one thing that we need to think about in the future is how we're going to move forward with many companies now launching electric vehicles. Yeah, thanks, Jerome. I think there's a few really good points there. And um, I don't want to take away from the Takata discussion, but certainly I think there's there's a couple of things there that I'd like to pick up on. You talk about electric vehicles, you talk about the way they need to be handled, firstly, and safely. Um, that you talk about, you know, how dangerous goods slash, you know, uh, hazardous, you know, goods, you know, the different sort of chemicals, et cetera, in those types of equipment. Um, there is an opportunity, I think, for all of the industry and sort of to create an ecosystem within which uh, we could together share more information um, and help everyone, you know, achieve the best possible outcome, both from a safety and environmental, but also commercial, you know, benefit as well. One of the things that I often sort of <clears throat> talk about with the work that I do with different insurers, and especially currently in the UK that I'm working with eBay and a number of different insurers there, it, we're looking at some of the data around vehicle repairability, and we're seeing some vehicles being total lost um, with very little damage. Um, so I'd like the automotive recyclers to think broadly, but also the vehicle manufacturers about, is it really, or the question I suppose I pose is, is it really some, uh, are we really competitors or are we complementary industries, right? And traditionally it's probably been a competitive thing, um, but I'm gonna throw it out there and maybe it's a little bit challenging at times to sort of, um, I suppose, challenge the, the status quo, but, um, I think there's a great opportunity for uh, vehicle repairability to be enhanced and more vehicles to be repaired rather than total loss by getting a better mix of product on the vehicles. Um, and that could include some of these sensors or electronic components that are tested and, and provided through the auto recycling industry, um, which traditionally would be seen as, hold on, you're taking sales away from us. They're our parts, they're sales from the manufacturer. But my view is a total loss vehicle is no sales for anyone. So if we can increase repairability of parts of vehicles by five percentage points, um, which actually is ultimately 25% better than what it is today, if you look at you know, total loss ratios being circa 20%, if we reduce it by five points down to 15%, it's 25% more cars being repaired. I think at the end of the day, everyone wins out of that. So I know it's going off a little bit, but it's an important point especially in the context of, you know, the e-tron and other electric vehicles being released in the market, expensive technological components that are going to need to be used. So I think that's a really important point. The other thing you mentioned there, Jerome, uh, is how we can work together to better trace product. And I'll, I'll revert to Chad in a minute to talk a little bit about traceability and how we can work on that. So thanks. Thanks for the, uh, for the update there. Um, Matt, can I can I hand over to Jaguar Land Rover and tell us a little bit about your brands and, and where you're at and 
what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, most definitely. Um, <clears throat> I, I think the basis of us, uh, I'd like to reiterate that, that the basis of what we want is our consumer safety. Um, we're, we're coming to the pointy end of this Takata recall now. And like all other manufacturers, we're really trying our best to narrow down and track down those last remaining airbags, whether they still be within customer hands or within the recyclers. Um, <clears throat> we need to work together to ensure that we have 100% complicity and ensuring that our consumers are safe and able to operate a motor vehicle day to day without any fear of, of a dangerous situation should they be in an accident. So we've been working with you for 18 months, much like uh, uh, Subaru and Audi. And we're really down at the pointy end now. And it's, it's down to the difficult part. And there are a few little airbags out there that have just slipped the net, um, which is where we all need to work together to, to make sure that we get these off the market uh, and appropriately destroyed. So we do have that, that consumer safety. Um, with, I'd just like to reiterate with uh, Jerome's uh, e-tron that's been launched, Jaguar Land Rover obviously has the Jaguar I-Pace as well, uh, talking electric vehicles. That's been out on the market for quite a period of time now. Um, and I think, again, working with these recyclers and, and our first responders in promoting the idea of safety behind high-voltage components, um, how to appropriately disassemble or, or destruct these vehicles is going to be a benefit of everyone. I think from a Jaguar Land Rover perspective, we deal highly within safety, safety, safety. And, and if there's any information or any, any collusion that we can come to to disseminate this information to the wider network, uh, that's, that's where we'll be aiming. We want everyone to be on board. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, if we can repair these vehicles rather than write them off, then that's a, that's a win-win for everyone. Excellent. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. Um, Murray, over to Murray from Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, including Dodge, Jeep, and I think uh, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Chrysler are affected by Takata? Uh, not Dodge, just uh, Jeep Wranglers and Chrysler 300s. Okay. So, yeah, so fortunate it's just the, the two brands. Um, I'm... I don't have, I, I'm filling in here for our recall manager, Luis Gonzalez. I'm, I'm part of the team that's actually at the front line, uh, trying to work the phones, convincing, trying to convince people to get their <laughs> vehicles repaired. Um, so I don't have the same overview that the other gentlemen have uh, by any means of uh, uh, the big picture for recalls and certainly have no knowledge of the, the Fiat Chrysler's electric vehicle plans. Um, so I can't speak for that. but. But as the grunt on the front line, it's, I'm certainly relying on Chris and his team to try and track down cars. We have, as, um, as Matt just said, we're at the pointy end and we're, we've got quite a number of customers who just will not talk to us or give us, if they do talk to us, they give us two word answers. Um, one starting with F and the other with O. Um, and so we're, we're often, the best we've got is, is just trying to give Chris a VIN to say, look, can you please see what you can find in the network to, to find this one? Because we've been told it's written off, but the, the customer won't give us any information, nothing to verify it. So, uh, so we're relying on the, the recovery side of the industry to, to help us out with that. Uh, and that's proven critical for us, I think, at this stage. As I say, we're down, I think, to about the last 10% of airbags uh, that need to be found. And it's, it's proving quite difficult with just a few months to go. 
Yeah, great. Thanks, Murray. I appreciate that. And I think one of the things um, we just engaged from an all-auto recourse perspective with uh, Fair Chrysler probably about four weeks ago, um, we're now in a position where we've been able to sort of uh, find uh, and in the process of, of, you know, putting together all the paperwork and, and returning airbags, et cetera, to, to Fiat Chrysler. Um, over 500, you know, in the context of Fiat Chrysler, it's actually not a bad chunk of, of airbags, uh, especially if you think about it, you know, as the last 10%. So um, that's been a really good result. And yes, keep that information coming through to us, uh, Murray. We're, we're on the phones as soon as that comes through. Um, and we've, we've been able to sort of achieve a result with a few of those, although we get similar two word responses from some people as well. But anyway, better better us than you, I suppose. Um, okay, Shane, last but certainly not least. Thank you, Chris. First of all, I'd just like to echo the, the comments of, of my colleagues and, and thanks to the industry for the support that we've received. Um, being our, our really our first engagement with the wrecking recycling industry at a broad level, um, the response has been amazing and for our brand, Particularly, we, we've had a really strong result through the program um, with many airbags returned. And if we weren't able to get the return, we've at least been able to get some understanding that a vehicle or a VIN has been through uh, a recycling process, which gives us more confidence that the, that the airbag doesn't remain out there in the, in, the, in the public and presenting a potential risk to a consumer. And as uh, some of our other colleagues have mentioned, it, it's an unknowing consumer in many cases because it may have been transferred to a VIN that's either previously been repaired or was not originally included in the recall. So is completely um, removed from any of the communication cycles because of that lack of awareness or understanding that the vehicle could potentially be affected by this um, particular campaign. So as I say, for, for us, it's been an amazing result. We've still got some work to do. Um, we started with um, more than 292,000 bins included in the campaign, some of which had um, two affected inflators, um, some only one. And the complexity of the campaign means that for us, the, the vehicle pool uh, ranges from 2003 to 2014. So the age of the vehicle has certainly presented some additional challenges that the industry as a whole has certainly um, come up with some innovative solutions to try and overcome um, so that we can make sure that we reach out and, and capture all these, all these vehicles. So great result overall. Um, and certainly, again, thanks to everyone involved. Now, the, um, the gap that this program has helped filled with us for, for Mazda in particular is the, the unknown for a vehicle once it leaves the registered car park. Um, so I'm sure most of you are aware that while a vehicle remains registered, um, we do have the ability to, to try and contact consumers based on their latest registration information, understanding that there might be some gaps there, but it, it's by and large, it's a relatively reliable system. But as soon as the vehicle um, is unregistered, then that's when the visibility of that um, of that VIN or that individual vehicle becomes a lot more difficult. And in many of these transactions for vehicles that have either been damaged or just um, fallen unregistered due to age, means that they're not going into any formal recycling system. 
um, and an understanding that the recycling uh, sector in itself um, is very wide and varied in the, the level of professionalism um, that exists. So there's, we've got the extremes from the people that are on the, probably on the call today um, down to those that are only dismantling one or two vehicles a year with, um, with very little transparency on the activity. Um, so there, there's certainly some gaps that um, we'd be happy to engage to, to try and close. Um, and with an understanding that an end of life program um, would certainly be a reasonable goal for everyone to try and um, work towards. And the benefits for, for both parties, I, I think would be, um, would be quite large. So for us to understand that a vehicle is no longer part of a usable car park, um, there's certainly some advantage in that. And for the, the wrecking and recycling industry, I think being able to have a more formal process around that to be able to direct what is the next step once the vehicle leaves the road um, would probably help to, to filter more vehicles through the process as well and make sure that they are um, disposed of and recycled correctly. Yeah. Very similar to, to the other brands, um, our technology roadmap probably looks a little bit different to, to um, Jaguar and to, um, to the Audi experience where we, we currently don't have a, a battery EV in the market. Um, other markets, um, they're, they're certainly being released, but, but not in our market yet. But it does introduce new technologies and new risks, not only to the, the network, but also to, to recycling. So understanding what's required to correctly and safely um, dismantle a vehicle is certainly part of our planning. Um, we certainly seek to ensure that everyone that touches that vehicle remains safe um, and is not injured as a result of any activity that they need to do. So certainly keen to be part of that sharing of information so that we can again make sure that all the all the um, people that touch a Mazda vehicle um, can do it in a, in a safe and reliable way. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. I really appreciate that. I think excellent insights from everyone really around, <coughs> excuse me, where you're at today, what you want to achieve. And I suppose comforting for the automotive recycling industry, I think we should be embracing that if I can put an automotive recyclers hat on. Uh, we need to embrace the fact that we've got, you know, uh, representatives from eight different brands uh, on, on a call here today. Um, and, you know, Nissan, Volkswagen and, and uh, Skoda were unavailable for this call, but would have loved to be on it as well. So I think there's there's representatives for, from, from 11 or 12 different brands that um, we're working with that we should be embracing the opportunity to work with them. And I think, you know, Obviously, time is is and priorities are, are critical here. Um, but I think one of the things that we'd all like is to get more information from the vehicle manufacturers, just on electric vehicles, for example. I know that the automotive recycling industry has had, and Chad through his uh, uh, association with uh, the Auto Recyclers Association in the US and his presidency there. Um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the fragmented, if you like, approach that automotive recyclers have had to take to acquiring some of this information, Chad, like electric vehicle dismantling processes and all that type of stuff. It's oh, available, but it has to come together. It's a jigsaw puzzle. So maybe there's, you want to expand a little bit of that, Chad? Yeah, that's definitely been a challenge over the years in the US. And from what I've seen so far, six months into Australia's market, uh, same thing here. It, getting some of the details of, of the proper techniques of dis, uh, de-energizing a vehicle and then properly removing the battery from each unique vehicle is a challenge. You know, you can get a, a list of, of some manufacturers, some you can't. 
uh, in the U.S. You know, there's a, a first responders type uh, guide to, to how to, to uh, de-energize the vehicles. Uh, and, and the automotive recycling industry has, has embraced that. Uh, in the United States, uh, ARA, the, the association, has actually hired a third party to build a, uh, a training module uh, that would be specific to uh, your make a model of each vehicle you're dismantling. So you could go in and put in your make model and it would tell you through the steps of how to disable and, and dismantle that, that vehicle. That's still a little ways out from what I'm hearing, uh, that it's not ready to be released to the market yet, but, but we're having to build our own tools in order to even, when I say tools, data, databases of how to handle these vehicles and, and how to handle them safely to keep um, the employees safe during that process uh, and, to, and to keep the structure safe, you know, when the, uh, some of these components are even stored. Uh, we, we've learned that you can't be mixing chemistries across uh, different battery types uh, because of chemical reactions and, and just, just trying to teach that to the industry has been a uh, it's been a challenge and the industry itself being fragmented we, we talked about that earlier somebody mentioned it about the uh, the different professional levels and they, they range from from you know one or two employees uh, doing stuff very crude to, to, to hundreds of employees and they're they're you know tasked with doing the exact exact right thing to just stay safe and uh, and getting the education to these guys getting the training to them, uh, it can be a challenge, and uh, and that's that's you know part of our our goal is to educate uh, the recyclers as much as we possibly can to keep them safe and uh, to remove liability uh, from them, uh, whether it's on selling uh, airbags or on selling batteries or dismantling and pulling batteries out of vehicles or whatever it may be. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Um, okay, so. Back to Takata for a second. Um, last week, uh, Channel 9 had that story on, you know, a bit of a what they call a loophole um, with regard to traceability um, of, of airbags that potentially have been sold from donor vehicles that are on the recall list and put into recipient vehicles that potentially are not. Or, as Shane said before, maybe have been completed before um, and now they've got a, an affected airbag in them again. Um, Chad, can I throw over to you and ask you a little bit about, from an all-auto recalls perspective, what we've been doing. We've been working closely with Derek um, over at Subaru and, and others about, you know, finding, tracing, sold airbags and having that information provided back from the recycler so that Subaru and other manufacturers that, that are, are taking this on um, can actually trace that product more effectively. Do you want to talk to us about our what we call our airbag or recall airbag contact tracing piece. Absolutely. What we have found is that, you know, we, we run a, a list of VINs from, from a recycler and identify that, you know, you've got, you know, 50 affected uh, airbags uh, that you have touched, that you could possibly have the, that you could have crushed or sold or, or, or you still have in stock. And, and it's coming back and it's like, man, I sold that, that airbag before the recall ever occurred. I didn't even realize there was a recall on it. You know, it was sold, you know, uh, within just a few weeks of me buying it. And then the recall occurred, you know, a year later when it, this recall uh, became active. And, and now that, that airbag is out there. Well, what we've been able to do is actually gather the information from that buyer. And so the, the, the buyer that bought that airbag, a secondhand air, airbag, 
uh, is now being entered into our system and the invoice from the salvage yard or recycler where that in, uh, airbag was sold on to a, uh, another buyer is being provided to us. And then we're providing that back to the manufacturers and the manufacturers are then chasing those sold airbags that may be in a different vehicle. And, and so we call it contact tracing. It's sort of like what's going on with COVID right now. Uh, and, and we're identifying that we've even found a few that have been uh, one salvage yard sold to another salvage yard who sold it to another buyer. And so multi-step approach to identifying exactly where that bag is. And we're capable of, of drilling down and finding that now. And so that's a tool that we're providing for most of these guys that are on this call. And, uh, and it's, it's proved very valuable uh, to, to help them reach their goal of 100% compliance. And I think before I hand over to, to the manufacturers again to sort of have a bit of chat about that aspect of it, you know, the automotive recycling industry is somewhat of an afterthought a lot of the times. So um, you look at, for example, regulations, or if you even look at the Takata recall, for example, and the mandatory recall, often either the advice received uh, or the interaction with the industry was either ill-guided potentially and therefore uh, understanding how the industry works and, and what it does or doesn't do is really important in order to, to determine what the best path, what the best approach is. So we're finding that by deploying these types of tools, it will enable both manufacturers and recyclers to deal with recall parts better, um, be compliant, manage that risk better. But most importantly, at the end of the day, what every one of you said uh, in your intros this morning uh, was about consumer safety. And the only way to, to ensure that is to have a mechanism which is easy to use, which is efficient to use, um, which is aggregated in my view, so that they don't have to go to website A, B, C, D, depending on which manufacturer vehicle it is, and that automatically drives that information to the hands of, in this case, the recyclers, so that they can deal with what they've got to deal with. From a contact tracing perspective, whether it's an airbag or a control arm or an ignition switch, it's irrelevant. At the end of the day, if it has been sold in the past or has been sold while it's been under recall, Let's find a mechanism by which we can identify, trace that product back and help you as manufacturers find and deal with it. So I think they're critical things that be, are becoming more and more clear to us. Um, and again, both in Australia and, and in the UK where we've launched the All Auto Recall Service, we're seeing that that is a really, really critical part of, of the way forward. So, um, Jerome, e-tron. You've got the marketing in the background there. You've done a great job of marketing. So there's a whole heap of people on Facebook at the minute that are seeing that adver advertisement free of charge. Well done. Um, tell us a little bit about <laughs> tell us a little bit about Etron. And I know that we were when I was up there once. You said one of the areas that you need to look at is how we can deal with electric vehicles better and electric batteries because you know, the disposal of those is, is something that needs to be considered moving forward as you get more product coming through. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. I think the e-tron, um, there's two aspects to it. To me, there's the aspect of firstly, acting safely and doing the thing safely for both the first, first respondents, so other than the fire brigade at the time, 
but also those aspects of what do we do after with those vehicles when they get into the recycling. And I totally agree earlier when there was, I think Chad, when you said, how do we dismantle those cars? What do we do with those cars? I think for us, um, it's uh, one of the major training that we're pushing out to our dealers at the moment is not all our dealers can work on those cars. So that's where the training is so specific that you'll find that in Australia currently, there will be only seven dealers that are trained to sell and work on those cars with a high voltage. Because it's, um, again, the risk for anyone touching those cars. And if there is no education about it, it's something that's going to create some problems. But at the same time, it could be a real danger for the people touching those cars. So we've got a first responder manual. Uh, we share that with um, the, the fire brigade. We share that with the, the toy company. We probably need to share it with auto recyclers. Um, we don't have a dismantle manual. Uh, I heard, Chad, that you were putting together a dismantling manual. Unfortunately, from our side, um, we haven't got to that stage yet of the dismantling, but we've got instructions regarding what we need to do or not do when you approach one of those cars. And I think that's uh, one of the, um, the aspects that we all need to look at is if I'm not educated on a high-voltage vehicle, doesn't matter if it's an Audi, if it's a, a Jaguar, or if it's any other electric vehicle, people should know that if they don't have that education, they should not be touching those cars because um, there is a very high danger for people putting their hand on those cars. And I think that that education is to be, if I don't have that information, I need to go to the source and get that information. Manufacturers, yes, we do have that information. We share that information, that information is available. And again, that's something that, uh, that's put available. There is a website where we can get around the world where people can subscribe to and get the information about repair instructions. Uh, we made them available. That was one of the requirements when we spoke to the FCI saying, hey, repair instructions are not things that we keep to ourselves. There is um, a source that's uh, required. Again, we want people that are specialists to go into that information. And yes, uh, people can go into um, this website and purchase information, purchase instructions. So there is an information. The thing is to me also is what is the level of training that everyone requires. Don't forget, like I said, we've got dealers that are specialized into e-tron or electric vehicle, but not every single staff within that business is a high voltage technician. There'll be one or two high voltage technicians. Maybe there's a need for the auto recycling industry to start thinking about that education. And Chad, you mentioned earlier that there is maybe a training that's required. Um, the problem with that is I think that whilst we all talk about battery electric vehicle, every manufacturer is coming with a different technology with a battery electric vehicle. So there is the one that sits at the top here that says it's an electric vehicle, but the technology used for the electric vehicle is different. And that's why I think that uh, a training would have to be very broad to start with. And when it comes to a specific, people would have to refer back to the manufacturer. That's a really, really interesting point. You, you mentioned there's seven uh, dealerships uh, and only specific people within those dealerships uh, are going to be able to handle your electric vehicles. Um, yet, from an automotive recycling perspective, these electric vehicles, obviously not the e-trons yet because you haven't got them out, but other electric vehicles that have been out in the marketplace for a long time, uh, which would have similar challenges, you know, and, and sort of risks associated with the handling of them, uh, are sold at auction every day, all day, uh, and purchased by whomever wishes to purchase those. And let's face it, they're probably not handled right. So there's a few areas. I think that the, the, the certification program in the UK that uh, the VRA is rolling out 
is possibly a solution to something like that. And basically, that that's a the Vehicle Recyclers Association there is rolling out a, a set of standards that recyclers need to meet. And possibly, in my view, where it will end up in a couple of years is that those that have had electric vehicle training to handle Audi e-trons, for example, uh, or you know Mazda when Mazda brings out their electric vehicle or whatever the case is, or the F-Pace. Um, they'll be able to purchase those vehicles because they're, they're seriously dangerous cars. I mean, it's not it's not something to be sneezed at. They need to be handled appropriately. So, really, really important. Uh, Matt, from a from an F pace perspective, obviously it's been out for a couple of years now. I think um, is that a similar situation where you've only got certain dealers and technicians that are able to handle those, or is it a, a little bit different from your perspective? No, much like Audi, um, all of our retailers. Um, are trained on the I-PACES. However, there are varying degrees of accreditation. Uh, so we've got four levels of accreditation uh, and the bare minimum is you need to be uh, what we call an informed person. So you are aware that this is a Jaguar I-PACE um, and, and the high voltage components within this vehicle have the ability to, to seriously injure or kill, uh, if not handled correctly. Um, and then we progressively step through different phases of repair processes on the vehicles. General service work is um, is okay for most technicians, but when you get to the nitty gritty and the real sort of high voltage components, there are only uh, a select few technicians within the network that have the ability to to power these vehicles down and even go a step further and, and fully repair individual cells within the battery. Um, so there are varying degrees of competency and, and it's quite a rigorous training regime that we go through. However, like uh, Jerome mentioned, we also have a first responder uh, information booklet that's been issued to the emergency services uh, in terms of identifying high voltage components uh, in terms of your orange high voltage cables, how to safely uh, disable that high voltage circuit in the, in the event of a, an accident or, or potential safety risk to a consumer. So that's all been set out. I'd also like to, to um, state that we do need to come to some form of agreement where we can have a broad uh, training regime for all parties involved to, to be able to identify these and safely manage and handle these vehicles. Um, we need to account for the fact that these vehicles aren't going to always be within warranty. Um, they will filter out of the networks and other people will be able to get their hands on these cars and, and conduct works on them. So the safety component behind that and being able to distribute that information um, is paramount. And I think as an industry, as we start to move more and more towards these electric vehicles, I think we'll start to see um, the, the Australian standards are becoming aligned and then there will be uh, some form of, of information that can be distributed to say, look, if you identify these orange cables, they are high voltage, don't touch X or Y until you're fully understood, reach out to the manufacturer, will be able to issue you information or, or obtain workshop manual sort of details on how to safely navigate your way through this product. Yeah. I think the, the critical points. Uh, the question I have that comes to mind is how do we as an automotive recycling industry access that type of training? Um, is there something that this session that I can trigger um, within 
obviously it has to be done at an individual brand level initially, but then potentially as an aggregated piece, how can we access some of that uh, training for, for, for recycling members across Australia and New Zealand? Or, you know, we've got people on from the US, we've got people on from, you know, from New Zealand, other people on, uh, I'm just looking at uh, Facebook at the minute, we've got Japanese uh, members on, uh, we've got specialists in the, in the battery world, in fact, that are, are on and others that are doing a lot of uh, recovery of airbags in the US uh, through the razor business over there. So there's a lot of people listening in different parts of the world. Obviously, we're talking from an Australian perspective here. What do we do? How, how do we start something? How do we get this movement towards training of an automotive recycler so that they, they and their people are kept safe but also the storage, the distribution of this product, the recovery of end of life batteries. You know, what do we do with the what do we do with the damaged battery that's had a collision shot um, and is is replaced by either a a re reclaimed original uh, part or by a new one? How do we deal with those? Yeah, obviously this is new technology to to everyone and. Uh, it's something that we do need to align on and the comments made are, are completely understandable. We, we do offer subscriptions to our, our workshop uh, information and things like that. However, more importantly, it's the training aspect that we need to address. Um, it's all well and good to be able to read a piece of paper and, and say you need to do A, B, C in a, in a set order. However, to be able to disseminate that information in, in perhaps a face-to-face -face environment um, will really drive home those safety critical issues and really drive home the ability or inability for certain people to be able to do uh, certain repairs or disassemblies. And that's something that we are looking into uh, on how best to approach currently. Chris, I think you're, mu you're muted, Chris. Sorry, someone knocked on the front door. The dog started going crazy, so I turned. I, I muted myself. Apologies for that. It's probably Amazon again. Um, anyways, um, so uh, what I was saying is that I think it's really, really critical that this type of discussion continues, um, not only for the Australian market, but for the global um, automotive recycling industry, but also for the global vehicle manufacturer industry. I think end-of-life vehicles and what happens to that vehicle at its end of life and its components are critical. So... Um, again, we talk about traceability, how we can use information that you have, how we can use information that the, uh, that the uh, automotive recycler has, that an insurer has, that the auction houses have, or whatever the case is, to actually take that vehicle down the right path so that it's dealt with appropriately and safely. I think is going to become more and more uh, important. And those traceability tools, I think, are going to be critical. So we've got a uh, question here from Emil. Um, Hi, Chris, do you, have to, uh, do you happen to know the total number of vehicles auto recyclers in Australia procure annually? Also, how many years of inventory do recyclers in Australia typically keep in stock? Or to phrase it another way, how quick is a recycler's turnover? Thanks, Emil. Um, <clears throat> Tricky question. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of questions in one there. So how many do Australian automotive recyclers procure annually? Um, we don't have the exact number, but if we're going to guesstimate what that number is, I would suggest it would be close to the half a million vehicles a year across the automotive recycling industry. 
Um, so there's a lot of vehicles going into, into that industry every year. Um, how many years worth of inventory? It depends. There are different business models that automotive recyclers have. Some of those business models see, I've been to some recyclers, very advanced recyclers that would hold inventory for 10 years. Now you're going to say, hold on, how can they be advanced and have that old inventory on their shelves? They buy late model, um, niche type product. For example, it might be a Mercedes or a BMW or a, or a Audi product that is, you know, 2018, still under warranty, very expensive type of product. They hold it for a good period of time. They, um, they catalog it very, very well with part numbers and interchange numbers, all very well catalogued. And that product turns a lot slower. Then you've got on the flip side, you've got, you know, others that do a lot of export and it's really, they, they don't hold any inventory. It comes in and it's out within the half an hour. Um, because they rip the bits off that they want to rip off and bang, it's in a container and going overseas. So in both environments, there are challenges when it comes to, if we can bring the discussion back to recalls, there are challenges with both of those environments. In the first instance, for those that hold inventory for a long time, that inventory could be on the shelf. And at the point of inventory, um, there is no recall on it. But in three years' time, for example, one of the parts that they're holding may have had a recall activated. In the case of Takata, that's you know probably going back, with if you look at the Nardi ones, nearly back to 95. So it, it can happen. Now, again, we need to provide solutions for that. And, and Chad can talk to some of the recall solutions that we're providing with auto recalls with the auto alerts, but they're, they're some of the key challenges for that type of a business. On the flip side, for those that turn the inventory very quickly, then the contact tracing is really important, right? Because uh, it may not be uh, affected when the time of inventory. And if it is affected later on down the track, um, they need to be able to communicate to the person that purchased that inventory or that stock and let them know that that part has now been recalled so they can have it dealt with. Otherwise, we've got parts flying around the marketplace that have been recalled and no one knows about them. So that, that's the critical component there, Emil. Hopefully that answers your question, Emil. Any more questions either on Facebook, we've got a heap of people on Facebook at the minute. Um, please ask the questions, we'll try and attend to them or on, um, on the Zoom call, please jump on and ask some of those questions. Um, okay, so we've talked about the Takata piece. I think it's critical, we, we are coming up to the last four months of the Takata recall or the ACCC mandatory recall. One of the questions I've had from a number of recyclers, guys, and I probably can't really answer that question um, properly because probably no one can, but what happens after December 31st, 2020 with regard to Takata? Derek, you've been quiet. You're right. I don't, we've been asking the same questions to ACCC to oh. out what actually happens um, and all from my experience from audit, what we have seen is that whoever had the last contact of this particular either VIN or airbag, we've been accountable for it. Um, whether it be through, we have to give an account for every single VIN which is affected by a Takata airbag recall. And we have to give over our data saying, well, this is the last contact that we had with it and we hand that information over the ACCC. So when our order gets done, and we have to give them the information, say, here are the outstandings, and here's the last point of contact we had for them, 
if it be a customer, we can say, well, the customer just said, you know, I don't want it done, or we've tried this customer and uh, we couldn't find them through every resource we could. Or it might be in the case of a salvage yard, we had the information of this at the salvage yard, and unfortunately we could obtain the information. At that point, it is over to the HBC to make a call on what they do with that information and how they follow it up. I can only imagine it would be a case of auditing each of those to find out why they didn't provide the information um, that was required of them. That's, that's all from my experience so far. I'm not sure what everyone else thinks. Shane, can I ask you from your perspective, what, what does it look like post July, sorry, December 31st? So there's two elements to the to the campaign. One is the the coverage of the compulsory notice, um, which has an end date on it. So that so that's that's the element, and aligns very much with um, what Derek said. There'll be um, almost like a, a closeout piece uh, that we provide with the ACCC. This is where we are at that point in time, and our all our activity and actions that have been conducted in relation to the vehicles that are included within that um, that campaign. Um, but beyond that, uh, the, for, for Mazda, and I can't speak for every other brand, the, the recall remains active until complete. So there's, there's a number of elements that uh, you can be considered to have completed all required actions under the compulsory notice, but without having to, uh, without having actually um, repaired the vehicle. So the examples where a customer hasn't responded or they've been, um, you know, Refusing to respond, um, those cars will still main, remain open in our system. Um, and if they do present to a dealer or we are able to engage with that customer, then, then we will continue to repair those vehicles. So that activity doesn't stop just because the compulsory notice stops. And with regard to, you said that if they do present to a dealer, obviously a, a vehicle at an automotive recycling facility won't present to a dealer, it's, it's off the road. Um, what what does it look like for the automotive recycling industry moving forward? Well, it, our intention is to is to continue the activity that we're we're currently undertaking. Um, so we've got no plan at this stage to stop that at December thirty one. So um, from a Mazda perspective, um, we're we're planning to continue those actions. Jerome, um, thanks, Shane. Jerome, from an Audi perspective, it, what happens at June, uh, July? To, uh, December 31, sorry. <laughs> I think that uh, will be it. I think very similar to um, Derek and uh, Shane, I think from our perspective, we're still seeking clarification at the moment from the ACCC. What does it mean? Because I mean, whilst there's that deadline, we still have some, and like I said earlier, the safety of our customers is what we're focusing on. We're not focusing too much about, is it a recall or not a recall? For us, it's more, hey, there's a safety issue. We need to address that safety issue. And that's where um, I was very interested earlier about your traceability because for us, this is the important part. It's, I think the traceability, whilst we got, we're doing the best we can to get to the customers, that what we call active customers, so the ones that are driving their cars, we also do our best to address the non-active customers. And that's where uh, sometimes I'm a bit shocked when I receive an information from you saying, look, Jerome, we've identified all those vehicles now in recyclers. However, we don't have a response from the recyclers. And to me, that's the thing that, um, as a manufacturer, and I think that's, well, that's what I said earlier, they're our customers, they're not Audi customers only, they're now our customers, they're customers that you've, as a recycler, have sold an airbag. We need to have that information as a manufacturer so we can try to trace where that airbag is, because that airbag is probably in another car, and we want to get to that customer. And that's where, to me, that the important part is 
whilst yes, it's important to think about what is after the 31st of December, is what can we do better to get to the 31st of December and be in the best position possible? And uh, we've been provided by All Auto Recall, um, a list of um, auto recyclers that still haven't responded to your request. And as a brand, that's one thing that we're going to do in a few weeks, so a few auto recyclers that haven't uh, responded to you or haven't reacted to your request are going to get a notification from Adi Australia asking them formally to go back to you with that information because we need to know. And to me, that's the important part is we shouldn't neglect that there is a customer out there that could be driving with that airbag fitted to their cars. And yeah. that's why we want to focus on this. Look, what's going to happen after the 31st of December? Like I said, it's still quite vague. The recall will still be open in our system. So the recall will be active in our system. Yes, the requirement that we have in the compulsory recall will probably be not as stringent as they've been to now, but it is still important to get to those vehicles. And look, if it means for a recycler to give us the information where they've sold um, the airbag, because that airbag might be in a car that's still in circulation, we need to do something. If the airbag is still in the car sitting on a recycler, what I will say to the recycler is contact all of the recall, get an airbag to them so they can return the airbag and we can scrub it. So that's what I'd like to say. To that point, Jerome, I think that's that's a really important point. And we are looking ahead a little bit. Um, that is beyond December. But we do have four months left. And certainly we've been working closely with with all of you guys on, on this call and, and others. Um, and Derek's been pushing it really, really strongly. What can we do in the next four months? So if I can use the last five minutes of this call and talk about the next four months and, and press home to the automotive recyclers that are that are listening, um, no, the world isn't going to end at December 31, um, but certainly we're going to be in a position where between now and then we've got an opportunity to do what we need to do. Jerome mentioned then the audit that we've uh, run through with Audi and all the other manufacturers um, looking at the data that we've got so we can understand which recyclers have engaged so that they can actually get the information back because they need to report it back to the ACCC. Um, we've reached out to a number of recyclers. What can you do? It's simple. Um, you would have received emails from Chad, from myself, from whoever uh, asking for uh, information about the recalled airbags that we've identified. The simplest thing to do so that you can comply is actually get on uh, get onto those and actually respond to them. And, and whether they've been crushed, whether they've been sold, with the, the system caters for all of that, right? You can upload your sold PDFs, etc. Um, so whether they've been crushed or sold or whether you've got them in stock, um, it's an opportunity now to actually deal with those airbags and have them returned. We know everyone's busy. We know, that's, that's, you know, let's not go there. Everyone's busy. Um, it's not a matter of, you know, uh, trying to get you some to do something that isn't important, but, you know, we'd like you to do. It's critical. So we urge you, and I think each, each of the manufacturers on the call here today and the others that weren't able to make it are saying, please attend to those, respond to it, look at them, spend a day, half a day, an hour, whatever it is that it's going to take you, depending on the volume that you've got, and actually come back to, to us with the information so we can provide to the manufacturers. The manufacturers are paying for it, for your time and effort, not for the actual airbag because it's a recall part, but they're paying for the time and effort to, to you know, help you make it possible. So I think if 
from an all auto recalls perspective and Chad's perspective, if I can just say, you've got the information, we've done all the hard work, it's just a matter of now putting in a little bit of time and saying this is where it's at, right? Um, I think that's gonna be critical. Um, so we've got three minutes left. If I can hand over to each of you for some closing comments on the next four months and what you'd like to see potentially, um, I'll hand over. So uh, Murray, um, can I just sort of take, take it, over, hand it over to you for a second? Uh, yeah, as I said earlier, I'm not involved in the management side at all, but um, from the, the call team side, we're just going flat out to try and contact as many people as we can, encourage them to call us back, um, encourage them to get their vehicles repaired, uh, or if they don't have the vehicles anymore, then to provide information that verifies what happened to it. Um, a lot of them are just saying that it's, it was in an accident three years ago and they don't know where it went, it wasn't insured, blah, blah, blah. So we're just working as hard as we can to try and track those down. And then I, I think after that, it'll be sort of um, up to the feedback from the ACCC on where we go from there. Excellent. Thanks, Murray. Matt, the last four months, the last stretch. Last four months, uh, rapidly trying to track down the, the handful of cars that we've got remaining. Um, obviously, we want to work cooperatively and in line with all stakeholders, consumers, retailers, recyclers. Uh, we just want to get to the very last one of these airbags uh ensure our consumer safety is there if we uh if we tick all our boxes by december 31 but we still haven't recovered 100 percent, we don't stop there we'll we'll keep moving forward uh until we replace every single one out there excellent thanks for that derek yeah i would say the same that matt said that completely uh, that we will continue to find you know, our responsibilities manufacturers to find these regardless so that date is a date it's mandated by HWC, but for our customers, we'll keep on trying to find them. But I just implore salvage yards to, to help us, to help you, to get you paid for your time, get it out of your stock and done with, and that way we can move forward. But um, I think you're right that we need to work together to get the result we all need. So I appreciate everyone's time today. Great, thanks, Derek. Shane? Uh, very similar message to, to the other team members. Um, we encourage everyone to, to remove the risk that associates with these inflators, um, first of all for consumers, but also for um, for the recycling industry because the, there is a risk attached if they do end up you know, out there in um, out there in a customer vehicle um, and they have gone through the, the channel at, at any stage. So while it remains a focus of the compulsory notice, we've probably got our best opportunity to encourage people to engage um, and we really should take advantage of that. Great, thanks Shane. Jerome. Thanks for that. And uh, again, from my side, I think a big thank you to all of you and uh, all the recyclers, because I think that we've been doing a fantastic job for the last 18 months. What I will ask is for the next four months, let's put a bit more effort and let's try to get all those airbags out of circulation. Let's try to finalise that recall so we don't ask the question, what's happening after the 31st of December? If all of us are working in the same goal, is trying to achieve 100% and try to recover all those airbags, I don't think we need to talk about it after the 31st. And that's where I think we need a big help from all of you. I think we've been working really well together. Like I said earlier, yeah, maybe there is some, a little minority that we're still chasing at the moment that uh, haven't responded to you. Hopefully after this call, they will respond to you and uh, get back to us. But to me, I would like to see the positive side where we actually all work together and we all achieve that goal of finalizing that recall. Great, Jerome, thank you. Chad, before we finish up, some last comments from you? 
if you're a recycler and I have sent you an email asking for information, please respond. We are trying desperately to, to find and, and resolve every one of these airbags that uh, these manufacturers are, are asked, have asked us to, to resolve. Um, it's imperative we make it happen as soon as possible to get these things out of the market. Excellent. Thanks, Chad. Well, to close off this session, if I can just take a, a quick minute to, to thank everyone. Um, you know, the automotive recycling industry for years has wanted to engage with the vehicle manufacturing industry in a more meaningful way. Um, you know, you could say that it's taking a, a, a quite sort of unfortunate recall in, in the Takata recall to, to bring us closer together. And I think it's, it's really important. I think Matt and Jerome, with regard to the electric vehicles and the type of training there, you've opened up uh, an opportunity there potentially where we can work closer and actually look at some of these challenges that the industry has, not as you know segments, but as a collective. Um, the automotive recycling industry, I think, is a critical component of, of the automotive broader industry, especially moving into you know the next five or 10 years, uh, we're gonna have some challenges economically. People are gonna be holding their cars longer. People are gonna be looking to repair their vehicles. Uh, we've already seen increases, significant increases in uh, automotive recycle parts sales. Um, so <clears throat> there's no doubt that people are gonna be looking to buy the automotive recycle part more and more. So, you know, we need to make sure that we work together to, to keep the consumer safe, to make sure that recalls are tracked, traced, and we can we can actually determine where a part is, even if it's been sold from an automotive recycler um, in the future. So on behalf of, of the podcast, thank you to, to all the guys that are on the call today. Thanks for everyone for, for jumping on. We got a heap of people that were on Facebook today. So thank you very much. Hopefully you found the session uh, meaningful and you got some information there. For those that haven't engaged from a recalls perspective, jump on, return uh, Chad's emails, get on to him, get on to me, whatever the case is, or whoever you need to get on to, do what you've got to do with recalls, keep your customers safe and, and keep yourself safe as well because you don't want anything going wrong with one of these parts. So again, thanks very much, everyone. And uh, hopefully everyone has a, has a nice rest of Wednesday and, and rest of the week. So thanks very much. Thank you. Hey guys, thank, thank you. Thank you.